And on those, please take the time to send those in a text so we can get those on the list. I mean, those are important prayer requests. Let's get those sent over there. At the top of your prayer request list is a cell phone number. You can send those, a text message, and she'll get those on there. If you have any other updates or anything, uh, please, because we want to get those. And some people don't hear anything that's said. Some people are online. They can't hear it all. So please text those over so we can have those on the list, okay? All right, let's open up in word of prayer, and we'll get started here this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for this time we could come together and open your word. We pray that it would be profitable, Lord, that you would help us to learn more about you and Jesus Christ as a result of this time. Lord, we pray for the service to come, that you would speak to hearts. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, good morning. We have been, um, this year, starting a study on the life of Christ. Um, the original plan here is to try and uh, look at the life of Christ uh, as, as we see his days recorded in the New Testament, in the Gospels. We see roughly a little bit over 50 days of his life are recorded in the four Gospels. And so our, our hope is that here, uh, even beginning maybe as soon as next week, we begin that process of beginning on you know, each day uh, that he lived. But before we got into those really granular kind of uh, studies, we wanted to take a time and you know, look at that 30 or 40,000 foot view of the life of Christ and really get an understanding of who he was and what he did whenever he was here. And then as we look at the individual actions that he had throughout the course of his life, hopefully we have the proper context for for what he was trying to do. So um, as you recall, if you've been here the last several weeks, we began with just kind of a study on those 400 silent years between the Old Testament and the New Testament and kind of introducing some of these new people that have come onto the scene when we begin to read in the Gospels. Uh, You know, who are are the, uh, the Romans? There were no Romans in the Old Testament. We kind of talked through uh, uh, synagogues. There was no synagogues in the Old Testament. Where did those come from? So all those different types of uh, uh, items we discussed. And then we began to look at Jesus Christ and what he did a few weeks ago. And as you recall, um, the, the thought was if we were able to go back in time, the time of Christ, and we were able to ask people why Jesus Christ was in his ministry, hey, who is Jesus, what would they say? The response you'd probably get is he's a teacher. That was his primary role whenever he went day to day throughout the areas, what you find. He even told whenever he was on trial um, in his last week of his life, he even said to the Pharisees, I taught daily in the synagogues. So this was his daily habit to go out and teach. And what did he teach? Well, that's really important. He taught about himself. That's what Jesus taught about. I mean, how many times did he say, I am? I am the life. I am the bread. I am the way. And, uh, and And he taught many things about himself. He taught about his kingdom. You recall we studied a few weeks ago about how he, he taught his kingdom through these parables. You remember the parable of the, the wheat and the tares or the, 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 great, the pearl of great price or the treasure hidden, treasure hidden a field. He was teaching us about his kingdom and what his kingdom would be like. And then, we, and then he taught us about the laws of his kingdoms. And we see that in that Sermon on the Mount where he taught us about, uh, you know, how to inherit the kingdom. In, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he taught us about how we should handle material possessions in this life and how we should prepare for the next life. He taught us in that Sermon on the Mount how to build our life on the rock, not on the sand. And so we begin to teach people about his kingdom. And, uh, and can I say, once again, we mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I will remind us again. Listen, Jesus, and we're going to talk about it today. He did a lot of amazing, exciting miracles. But the most important thing that he did was he taught about salvation and that he was the savior and and a lot of people came and they got a free meal from jesus a lot of people came and they got a good show they got to see somebody get healed some people even got healed themselves but they missed the most important thing that jesus came to do and that was to teach about salvation about salvation so who who was he He was a teacher what did he do he he taught 
He taught openly for all. Uh, once again, you recall whenever he was being accused about what he taught, he said, listen, I said nothing in secret. Everything I said was open for all to hear. He taught for all people to receive his message. There, was, there, wasn't a, there wasn't a VIP section. There wasn't a gate you had to get through. He just said, come and I will teach you the truth of God. And so he taught openly for all to hear. And so uh, we saw that he taught. And then last week, if you recall, uh, we said, well, now we know who he was. He was a teacher. But what did he do? And last week, we spent a lot of time talking about one thing in particular, and that was his training. Jesus spent a lot of time training his disciples, training those apostles that would come after him and making sure that they were prepared whenever he was going to be gone because he would not be there forever. He was only there for a short time. And so in three and a half years, roughly, Jesus was able to train, not just teach, because there's a difference. Training, a teaching, you need to get up and just talk. It's not hard to teach. It's not, I do it all the time. It's not that hard. It's not that big a deal. Training is harder. Training, you get your hands dirty. Training, you have to go through pain. Training, you have to, you have to experience those uh, frustrations as you're trying to help someone else learn because you see them getting frustrated. And you get frustrated. It's harder to train. But Jesus trained his disciples. And how did he train them? He trained them through his, through his example. He trained them through practical instruction. He trained them through asking questions. He trained them through challenging them. Uh, you remember the story we spoke about last week where he forced them to go into the sea only to test them and come. And that's, we see that story where he walked on the water when the storm came in those days. And so we spent some time the last few weeks kind of talking about uh, who he was and what he did. And last week we left off with training. Today we want to pick up with uh, uh, something else that he did uh, is, is healing. And, and we spoke about that a little bit last week, but I want to pick back up on this because we didn't get through it completely uh, last week we spoke about as far as his methods of healing. Let's open our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 15. We'll begin there, Matthew chapter 15, and we will look at uh, verses 29 and 30. And this is kind of where we left off last week. And Jesus departed from thence and came nigh into the Sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, maimed and many others and cast them down at Jesus' feet and he healed them insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak the maimed to be whole the lame to walk and the blind to see and they glorified the God of Israel and then let's turn over to Mark Mark chapter number one Mark chapter number one and verse number 32 we see another similar passage here Mark chapter one verse number 32 and at even when the sun did set they brought unto him all that were diseased and then that were possessed with devils and all the city gathered together at the door, and he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered the devils not to speak because they knew him. And so you see Jesus, as far as who he was, he was a teacher, but what did he do? Well, he trained his disciples, but also he healed those people uh, that needed to be healed. And what you find is whenever Jesus healed, it wasn't, a, it wasn't like um, the, the, the method of the modern day. So there was a lot, listen, back in those days, they didn't have modern medicine. Uh, they didn't, uh, they didn't, they didn't, uh, we're fortunate. We, we live in a time where there have been people that have, have uh, got greater understanding about um, germs and, and the cause of infection and the cause of sickness and how to treat those things. And, you know, penicillin and all the, all the modern advances that we have that allow us to have a lifespan, you know, 70, 80, 90. Some of us even get to 100 years old, but this was very uncommon back in those days. They didn't understand health the way that we do today, and, and thank the Lord for that. Uh, but back in those days, if you were sick, you would go to some healer and, uh, and maybe they'd get lucky, you know, maybe they'd, maybe you just had like a cold and you recover in a few days. Uh, but, but it wasn't something that they could do on demand. 
It wasn't something they could repeat. And whenever they did give you, whenever they did give you instruction for healing, actually, I was in, a, in studying for this. I read across a couple of uh, a couple of excerpts of some of some uh, some ancient scripts. They've been able to find where these healers would give people instruction on how to heal. A sickness. So there was one that I read in particular about a, if a woman is having, you know, some kind of internal problems, the way that you would heal her is you tell her to go out to a specific road where two roads intersect and they actually name the roads. I can't remember what they were, but they'd say, you know, send the lady out to stand at the, inter- the crossroads of these two roads and tell her to hold a glass of wine in her right hand and have somebody come behind her and scare her and that will heal her. It was all just, you know, ridiculous stuff, but they didn't know any better. And so that's what they, whenever they thought of healing, that's what they thought about. When Jesus came, it was different. It wasn't some kind of like, you know, hocus pocus, mumbo jumbo nonsense about, you know, sneak up behind somebody and scare them to get rid of their, 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 their stomach ache. No, he actually healed people in power. He healed people effectively. He, he, healed, he healed people repeatedly. It wasn't a one-time thing. And as we mentioned last week, there was a variety of healings. It wasn't just one thing. He was not a one-trick pony. Whatever your illness was, he could handle it. There was no illness too big for Jesus that he couldn't take care of it. Even so much that you find he rose people from the dead. There wasn't anything he couldn't handle. And we spoke about it last week. There was blind, there was deaf, there was lame, there was crippled, there was dead. There were those people that, you know, had all various manners of diseases, an issue of blood. It didn't matter what it was, Jesus could heal them. He had complete power over healings. We spoke last week about what was his motivation for healing. Uh, Sometimes it was just simple compassion. That man that it was the it was the pool of uh, uh, Bethesda that he came and he and the, uh, that he healed and, and and there was no there was no no one appealed to him no one the man didn't cry out Jesus walked by and just saw the man and said why are you laying here he just had compassion but if you recall last week we also mentioned that the, the number one reason that we find recorded in Scripture why Jesus healed was because it was because there was a compassionate friend that came on behalf of someone else that needed to be healed right. that's the number one reason Jesus healed. Time and time again, you'll find people bringing their friend to Jesus or even just telling Jesus about their friend back home and saying, Jesus, could you heal them? And Jesus healed out of compassion. He healed out of the faith of a sympathetic friend. He healed sometimes just to rebuke the religious. You remember those stories where they would see if he would heal on the Sabbath day. And Jesus made sure that they saw him heal on the Sabbath day just to rebuke them about their attitude towards those people that that were suffering in this world. And so we see these motivations for Jesus to, to heal. Um, today, uh, we're going to begin talking about how he healed. Now, obviously, it was through the power of God. I mean, that's the, that's the correct biblical answer. But what did he physically do when he interacted with people and he healed them? Let's, let's look at that. because I think there's something we could learn from how Jesus interacted. Because the truth is, and we even find this in Scripture recorded, Jesus could just even think it, and those people could be healed. You remember the story about that? centurion that came to jesus and said i have a one of my one of my soldiers is is hurt can you come with can you can you heal him and jesus said yeah we'll go and he said you know you don't even have to come just say the word i'm 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 a i'm a i'm a roman soldier i know how this works i have power over people under me i can just tell them to do things and they'll go do it and i know that you have power in heaven and you can just tell people to go do it and they'll do it and so jesus he could have just thought he could have just thought it and people could be healed but he didn't always do that did he he did some unusual things in healing people didn't he from time to time so let's look at a couple of these examples. The first one we'll see is in Matthew chapter 8. Because we'll turn to Matthew chapter number 8. How did he heal? What was, the, what was the method that he used to heal these people? Matthew chapter 8 and verses uh, 2 and 3. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And, and that word wilt, it's just, if you want, that's what the guy's saying is, if you want to, you can heal me. 
If you have the desire, I know you're capable of it, Jesus. I know you have the power, but do you want to? There's a big difference between I can do it and I want to do it. And the truth is, all of us in this life, we don't get based upon what we're capable of doing. We get judged based upon what we actually do. I mean, there's nothing worse than, there's nothing worse I think you can say to somebody than, man, you've got a lot of potential. That's almost an insult. Because what that means is, you're not using it. I can see you're capable of, but you don't want it. So what this man came to Jesus and said, I know you can do it, but Jesus, do you want to do it? If that wilt, that was the question that this man asked to Jesus. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him saying, I will. He's saying, yeah, I do desire that. I do want to. I, I, I wilt it. <laughs> I do want you to be healed. Be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. So how did he, what was his method that he used in this portion of scripture? Well, the Bible says that he touched him. Now, uh, you know, that sounds kind of, you know, routine for us. But for a leper, nobody touched a leper. And the Bible does not tell us in the scripture how long this man had been leprous. Maybe it had been for maybe a few weeks or a few months. But, uh, you know, please don't Google, don't do a Google image search on this. But if you look at advanced cases of leprosy, it's it's disgusting. It's almost like a, a, a living corpse is kind of what it looks like. We have no idea what the condition of this man is. But we do know. It was commanded in those days, if you had leprosy, you could not stay inside a, a, a public area. You had to live outside on the outskirts of the city. No one could touch you. You had to live off of just the, 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 the generosity of those people that would throw things out that they didn't want anymore. My point is this man had probably, you know, I don't want to put things in the Bible that aren't there, but this man probably had not felt a physical touch in a very, very, very long time. And Jesus touched him as an act of compassion. Uh, there's something very powerful about the human touch. Now, I, I would say we live in 2024. We need to be careful about touching, okay? I would say 95% of the time, you need to keep your hands to yourself. That's probably just good practical advice for all of us. Just keep your hands to yourself. And I would also say this, you know, this isn't in the Bible. I'm just telling you kind of how I go about my life and trying to, trying to not put myself in situations where I can be compromised. But... Uh, if there's somebody you want to touch, and, and it's not your wife or your spouse, you probably don't need to touch them. And if there's somebody you don't want to touch, you probably need to touch them. I'm saying, like, when's the last time you've gone to a nursing home? Uh, those people in those nursing homes, they don't get touched other than just somebody maybe offering medicine. Uh, the, the power of a touch can be monumental. There's been times I've gone to a nursing home, just hold somebody's hand, and it causes them to cry. That they have not felt a human touch, a human connection, and so on. Can I tell you, there's people all around us sitting in this auditorium that have not felt a human touch in a long time. Now, once again, we need to use wisdom. We don't need to be just going touching in people and hugging people. That there's sometimes that's inappropriate. It should not be done. We live in a uh, we don't we live in a different culture uh, than what they lived back in those days. We live in a very litigious culture. We live in a place where people are just waiting for somebody to sue them or call the cops and, and look at accusations and all those kind of things can, can destroy a church. And so we need to be careful about that. But I'm, I'm telling you, there are times there are people, they need to feel a human touch. They need to have a human connection. In a way that, that, that is not a, 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 there's no thought of passion or lust. It's simply out of compassion and love. And so Jesus touched this man that probably no one else would ever touch. 
Jesus healed people. Not only did he touch people, but let's look at another portion of Scripture, John chapter number 5. John chapter number 5. Here we find Jesus another time is healing someone here in John chapter 5 and verses uh, 6 through 9. And this is that, that, uh, that, that man that here at the pool of Bethesda that we've talked about a couple of times previously. But here we see in verse number 6, when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? And the impotent man answered and said, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But when I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. So how did Jesus heal in this situation? And actually, this is not the only time where this happened. There's actually seven other times in the Gospels or other incidents where Jesus just simply spoke a word. All he said to this man was rise, and that man was healed. Yeah. So you find with the leprous man, he, he touched him before he healed him. But in this circumstance, and in seven others you find recorded in Scripture, he just spoke the word, and these people were able to be healed as a result of the power of Jesus. Sometimes, let's turn over to Matthew chapter 12. You'll see another uh, way in which Jesus healed people in Matthew chapter number 12. Matthew chapter 12 and verses 10 through 14. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, he will not lay hold on it and lift it out. How much more then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore is it lawful to do well on the Sabbath days? Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole, like as the other. So in this circumstance, certainly Jesus spoke a word, but there was something different. He actually gave a command. He said, stretch forth thy hand. He gave a command to this, to this man that had a withered hand. And the Bible says that whenever Jesus gave the command, this man stretched forth his hand, and his withered hand became like his other. So through giving a command to someone that needed to be healing, we find that there was a, there was a miracle. And let's look at a couple of maybe these more unusual ones that we, that we look at in Scripture. Mark chapter number 7. Mark chapter number 7. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, verse number 32, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Here is another, another moment where Jesus had a miracle of healing. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an uh, impediment in his speech... And they beseeched him to put his hand upon him. And he took his hand aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears. And he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Epapath. I can't say that very correctly, so I apologize. That is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened and the string of his tongue was loosed and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more the great day uh, they published it, the great deal they published it. And were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh the, both dumb to hear and the dumb to speak. So isn't that interesting? That sometimes Jesus could just touch someone and heal them. Sometimes he could just speak a word. Sometimes he could give a commandment. But in this situation, he's giving people wet willies and stuff and <laughs> spitting on the ground. And then he has like a sigh. 
What's that all about? Well, let's look at another, another situation. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 and verse 22, and we'll read through verse number 25. And then he cometh to Bethesda, and they bring a blind man unto him, and he besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit upon his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. And after that, he put his hands upon his eyes and made him look up. And he saw, and he, saw he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell any in the town. So here again, this is another kind of, now he just spit in his eyes. <laughs> Now, once again, like, there's some cultural things we have to understand. Obviously, it's in any culture, at any time, spitting on someone's bad. That's almost a universal. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You get dropped at any place, any time in world history. Somebody spits on you. It's probably an insult. <laughs> However, back in these days, they also thought, because, and this is kind of, you know, if you think about it, uh, you know, if you ever get a, uh, matter of fact, this happened to us one time. We had a uh, RC was in the nursery and uh, and he was playing with one of those big uh, you know those big oversized Legos you know the big ones those Duplo or whatever they're called blocks or something and he fell he's a toddler he fell and he cut his got a pretty nasty cut on his lip I mean it was like like the lip was kind of like flipping around there a little bit and so we uh, Jess and I ran to the emergency room that Sunday morning we got in the car we were thinking oh man how are we gonna hold this little well, he's about 18 months old two years something like that I'm like how am I gonna hold this kid down to stitch up a, a lip you know because I got to put a couple of stitches in there or something and so we run to the ER. Uh, you know, we come in, we come to the front desk, and while we're getting checked in, while we're getting checked in, a doctor walks by, and, uh, and she just happens to say, what's going on here? And she kind of just looks at him, and she just kind of kind of puts his lip back, and she's like, just go home, that'll heal, that'll heal up in a couple of days. And I'm like, no, no, look at this, look at the size of this cut on this kid's lip. She's like, no, no, the mouth and your tongue, it heals incredibly fast. And so you go home, your kid will be fine. And, and sure enough, a couple of days later, it's like, what even there? Yeah. Now, the bill from the, the hospital came. We didn't, even get, we didn't even get admitted, did we? They just didn't, we, we barely even gave them our insurance information. And she just said, go home, don't worry about it. We got a bill in the mail. Anyway, so, so think about that. If, and that's true. If you think about it, like your, your mouth heals pretty quickly. And so back in those days, there was this thought that there was some kind of healing medicinal property in your saliva. And so that was kind of the culture back then. So you, you kind of have to understand that. But uh, let's look at one more, kind of one of these unusual situations, John chapter 9. John chapter 9, in verses 1 through 7, one through seven uh, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And boy, what a, I mean, this isn't the point of our lesson this morning, but what a reminder, man, don't, don't be quick to judge when somebody's going through hard times. Because that's what these disciples were doing. They saw somebody that was struggling in life, and they said, well, they must be a really bad sinner. And Jesus said, no, actually, the opposite is true. The reason why they're going through hard times is not because to punish them, but to glorify God through their life. And what a reminder for us, don't judge people. It's, uh, you know, don't, uh, don't, don't be judgmental, be curious. That's a much better approach in life, isn't it? To ask questions instead of making assumptions. And so uh, Jesus uh, uh, answered the disciples. Um, he goes on to say in verse before, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
When he had spoken thus, he spat on the ground, and he made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the, of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the, bo- the pool of Siloam, which is by interpreted scent. And he went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. So here again, like, what's going on? Like, I, Jesus, we know you have the ability to just say a word or even just think a thought. But what's going on with, you know, one guy you're, you know, you're giving wet willies. One guy you're spinning his face. One guy you're making like a mud pie and putting it on his eyes. And, and, then, and then he tells him you have to go wash it off in a pool somewhere. Was any of that necessary? Well, I would say yes, because that's the way Jesus did it. And, and I would also say, boy, I have, I have, and I've been guilty of it myself, you know, we can take these unusual healings and we can make a whole bunch of applications that may not be in the Bible. And we got to be careful of that. We can make a whole lot of assumptions on why trying to judge the motives of Jesus. Unless it's revealed, we probably shouldn't speculate too much. This is what I can, ta- this is what I can say to you this morning. Jesus healed people in some ways that were very that were very straightforward but yet very powerful and then you also find times where jesus healed people in very unusual ways but were also very powerful and this i think maybe is the only kind of maybe lesson that i would give for us that i could say firmly from the word of god and that is this sometimes god works in unusual ways in our lives why are you giving me a wet willy god <laughs> What's the deal with the mud on my eyes, God? What's this about? God, why, I wouldn't have done it this way. Why can't you just speak the word? Why can't you just make the touch? Why can't you just think the thought? Why do I have to go wash off in the pool somewhere? Why can't we just take care of this right now, God? Because sometimes God works in unusual ways. And we just have to trust him. And if sometimes we end up with a wet willy or mud in our eyes or spit in our face, we have to trust God. He knows what's best. And, and we have to trust him for the for the end result. For the end result. That's what faith is. That's exactly what faith is. It's, I, I don't understand this. That doesn't make sense to me. But Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you for the, for the right outcome. For the right outcome in my life. Whatever that is. And so Jesus healed sometimes in very straightforward ways. But sometimes it was through very unusual methods. I would also say this, Jesus, whenever he healed, never one time do you find he ever asked for anything. He never passed the offering plate. He never said, give me a faith promise, you know, put your credit card down and max it out and God's going to give you back tenfold. All the nonsense we see going on in so-called Christianity today. The, the modern healers today are in it for the money. That's it, bottom line. That is 100% their motivation. It's not the goodness of the people. They're actually damning those people to hell. This I, do, do I believe that healings are still possible today? I, I believe there's two. I don't think that's God's normal method today, but I believe it's still possible. I don't think that God has ceased all miracles in our modern New Testament church. I don't believe that. I do believe they're very few and far between, though. And the genuine ones, nobody's cutting a check. Nobody's asking for your credit card information. Nobody's asking you to send them some money in and make a, a faith promise seed that's going to, all that nonsense. That's not how Jesus healed. And if, and if you're around anybody or any, any denomination or any faith that even hints at that, it's heretical. Flee, get away, run, 
That's not what Jesus showed us in the New Testament. He healed freely for all. Asked nothing in return. Unlike what we see today. I mean, I just barely walked in the ER room and I got a $300 bill. All these, look, if they, had, if they could truly, if these, if these charlatans that we see on, 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 uh, on TV that claim the name of Christ, if they could really heal, why don't they go to St. Jude? Go to Memphis, Tennessee, St. Jude Hospital and heal some children. But they can't because it's all about money. Now, I'm not, I'm, not look, I'm not saying that God can't heal. He does. I know there's miraculous healings. I believe that. But not any of this nonsense we see going on in church today. He did it for free. He did it unlike those false healers that would tell you, oh, yeah, get, go send your wife out in the corner of First and Main and sneak up behind her and scare her. Okay, now give me, you know, however much money. He didn't do it like that. He healed them. I would say also the... The other way that Jesus healed is he healed when all other methods had failed. Let's open our Bibles here to Luke chapter 8. Turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke, Luke chapter 8, 43 and 44. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years which had spent all her living upon the physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood staunched. So now we see a situation where Jesus healed when all other methods had failed. Well, there's a, uh, a gospel song. I don't hear it too much anymore, but it's a good one. Uh, and I don't even know the title of it. I just know like one line in the chorus. That's kind of how my music, <laughs> my music, I just remember like lyrics. But the, the lyric I remember was that basically that he was there, talking about Jesus, he was there all the time, waiting patiently in line. And basically the thought of the song is this, is I've spent my whole life trying to find a way to feel this emptiness inside. And the whole time Jesus was right there waiting. When, when this lady had exhausted everything else, she finally came to Jesus. Boy, I'm glad that she came, but don't make that mistake. Don't exhaust every other option. Just come to him right away. Save yourself all the trouble. Save yourself all the heartache. Save yourself all the regret. Just go directly to Jesus. But we find in this story that Jesus was able to heal those that no one else could help. And can I tell you this morning, Jesus can heal those that no one else can help. Amen. Testimony after testimony throughout the course of history through the Christian church. You see people's lives dramatically changed by the power of Jesus Christ. People that no one else could reach. I'm not against. Uh, I'm not against AA. I'm not against these, uh, these all these different um, you know organizations trying to help people get cleaned up in their life and all that kind of stuff. I'm not against those things, and they help people. There are people that their lives have been changed. They've been able to get off of alcohol or drugs because they're part of those programs. But let me tell you, those programs, they're a program. They work if you work. That, they'll tell you that. If you go to those, it'll work if you work. Jesus works if you don't work. Matter of fact, if you try and work, you're going to fail. It's simply coming to him in faith. And, 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 and it doesn't matter what else you've gone through, what other, what other things you've tried, Jesus can heal. When all other attempts failed, when no one else could 
solve the problem, Jesus was able to heal. You know, there are, there are, there are, uh, there are hospitals. Uh, my, you know, my brother, um, you know, as you know, he dealt with an inoperable brain tumor. He passed away a few years ago. And there are certain hospitals that would not accept him because it would, it would hurt their metrics in their hospital. So metri- the ch- hospitals get judged on, like, how many people they're able to bring to full recovery. And if they know that you're a lost cause, they don't want, you to, they don't want to bring you in because you're going to bring down their numbers. You're going to do nothing to help them. Oh, uh, you guys know this. You've heard of this, haven't you? I'm not the only person. I mean, this, they, they wouldn't accept my brother in certain hospitals because his, his, his brain tumor was inoperable. There was no hope. And so they reject it. And that happens all the time. I mean, I'm sad to say it happens at St. Jude as well. There are many hospitals that they will not accept people. They won't even bring you in because it's going to hurt their numbers. Jesus isn't worried about the numbers. See, that's what man does. Man says, yeah, I can help these people. I can't help these people. Jesus said, listen, it doesn't matter what you've tried, I can help. I'm not, maybe this morning you're trying other things, trying other methods. Could I remind you that Jesus is the answer? After all their options have, have been attempted and failed, Jesus is the answer. So we see that Jesus was a healer. He was a trainer. He was a teacher. What else did Jesus do in his ministry? Well, he also, he delivered many people from demonic possession. So let's talk about that for a little bit. There are seven different events we see recorded in Scripture where Jesus was able to uh, deliver these people from, uh, from demonic possession. Let's turn over to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse number 25. Well, let's, let's go back up to uh, verse number 21. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath, they entered into the synagogue and taught. Because once again, that's, that's what Jesus did. He was a teacher. <clears throat> and, when they, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? <clears throat> I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And all were amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commanded even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And let's look at another uh, time where this was this man in a synagogue in Capernaum. Let's look over to Matthew chapter number 8. And we will see that famous story of those maniacs of Gadara, the the maniacs of the tomb, where Jesus uh, delivered these men from demonic possession, Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse number 28. The Bible says, And when he was come to the other side, into the country of the Gadarenes, there uh, met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them, a herd of, uh, a herd of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou, if thou uh, cast us out, suffer us to go into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. One, one word. One solitary word. Now, listen, I don't know if Jesus was speaking in... in um, 
Arabic, uh, in, uh, in, in, in Hebrew that day or in the, in, the, in the modern tongue of that day. Maybe it was multiple words, but in our Bibles, one word, go. And these, and these men were freed from the possession of these demons just through a single word. Uh, let's look over at Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verses 32 and 34, 32 to 34. Matthew chapter 9. And they went out, and as they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. And the multitudes marveled, saying, it was never so seen in Israel. Now, uh, uh, here again, just kind of cultural things that you need to kind of understand. Uh, Demonic possession. And this is honestly, this is something I kind of, even as a Christian today, I kind of, I kind of wonder about why there was so much more, it seems like, demonic activity uh, in that time than maybe what we see in our, in, our, in our experience as Christians. I think there's a lot of good answers. Obviously, with Jesus Christ's presence on the, on the world, perhaps demonic activity had increased because you see Jesus Christ's presence on the earth. Um, I'm just speculating on this. This may or may not be true. What I've been told, I've not, I've not traveled the globe, but what I've been told by missionaries and people that maybe have gone to other places is that there are certain countries where uh, there are maybe what you would call demonic strongholds, where maybe demonic oppression is more uh, prevalent, what we might see in a country like America, where, listen, I'm not saying we're a country, a, a Christian nation anymore, but we certainly at least have some of the, 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 the shadow of it in our, in our country today. So maybe there's not as much demonic possession um, today. I, I don't know the answer to that, but what you find here in those, back in those days, uh, what they believed was if you, if you were, were you know, going to, cast a demon out of somebody back in those days and in order to do that you had to know the name of the demon that's what they thought back in those days you had to know the name of the demon if you're going to command him and cast him out and so they thought if someone had a demonic spirit that caused them to be dumb or they couldn't speak well this must be a very powerful demon because you're never going to find out what his name is that's kind of so whenever jesus was able to 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 deliver this man from a demon that no one knew the name of the demon the Bible says they, they were astonished and said, we've never seen it like this before. Every other time they had to know the name of the demon, but Jesus could just walk up and cast him out without even knowing the name of the demon. And so uh, there was this, this, uh, this cultural thing that was going on at that time as well. Let's look over at Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15 and 21 through 28. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, unto one, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be, is it, be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. What an interesting story there. Where Jesus actually says, It's not your time yet, Gentile. I'm not here for you right now. But yet through this woman's, uh, well, what the Bible kind of describes is her inopportunity. She wouldn't give up. She was persistent. Jesus said, wow, what an amazing level of faith that even the Gentiles or even the Jews could learn from the faith of this woman. And you find that he cast out this 
uh, the devil out of this woman's daughter. Uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, verse number 21. Here we find another one of these stories where the disciples are sent out and they come across a man that's possessed and uh, they, aren't able to, they aren't able to get this man to be freed from the demon. And what did Jesus say? Uh, well, let's look at verse number, uh, well, let's go back up to verse 18. And Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. The, uh, then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto him, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you had faith as grain of a mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence in yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. How be it, this kind goeth out, but by this kind goeth out, but not by, by prayer and fasting. And here we see again a, another another failure that Jesus was able to to deliver people after something else had already been attempted. And then we don't know we, the Bible does not record the exact instance when this happened, but the Bible does tell us in the book of Luke that at some point uh, Jesus delivered Mary Magdalene from seven demonic spirits. Now, we, now, the Bible doesn't record that actual interaction, but we know that it's true because it was said um, in the Bible here. So, And then in Mark chapter 1, you're going to find that there are many other healings and demonic uh, possessions that are mentioned there. Uh, okay, let's just run through these real quick and we'll be done. Uh, he, didn't just, he didn't just train people. He didn't just teach. He didn't just heal. He didn't just drive out demonic spirits. He also performed some miracles over nature. That, that we've read about. Uh, you know the story of the feeding of the 5,000. That he's able to, I don't know uh, how, how that, I mean, just generate new atoms out of thin air. Something like power over nature. To be able to take, you know, nothing and create something out of it. They're feeding the 5,000. He was able to calm the sea, control weather. He was able to walk on the water. He was able to uh, raise people from the dead. Uh, he was able to turn water into wine. Now, on that, I mean, I know there's a lot of debate on, you know, was it, you know, was it wine or grape juice or whatever, and, you know, there's a lot of debate around that. I would say this, if you are in the camp of he turned water into wine, like fermented wine and not fermented grape juice, I would say that that miracle is a little more impressive because what's the difference between grape juice and wine? Time. Control time. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Now, here again, I'm not going to fight with anybody on was it fermented, unfermented, whatever. All I'm saying is, you know, I could do a switcheroo and change out a glass of water for grape juice, but I can't just make time fast forward and turn grape juice into wine. That's pretty impressive. So you guys can fight about that later. I'll leave it up to you. What else did he do? He didn't just, he didn't just perform miracles. He also exposed religious corruption. We'll be done. Jesus was very compassionate. But he had very little compassion for those religious leaders that were the money changers. You know that story? He came in, he drove the people out of the, out of the temple. They were, they were making money off of religion. And Jesus drove them out. Um, the Pharisees that were motivated, uh, the, well, the Bible even says that at the very end of his life, whenever they came to Pilate, Pilate even understood the reason why these religious leaders hated Jesus was out of envy, the Bible says. Pilate, Pilate, Pilate knew because of envy they were motivated to, to fight, to, to try and destroy him. And you find that time and time again that Jesus rebuked those religious, those Pharisees, the hypocrites. He would rebuke them and give compassion to those people that were the outcast of society. So what did he do in his life? He taught, he trained, he healed, he gave deliverance, he had power over nature. And he rebuked religious corruption. 
That's what he did in his life. Now, that's not all that he did. Something really, really important happened. He, he, purchased, he purchased salvation for us, and we'll talk about that more. But uh, the plan is, Lord willing, next week we'll begin our, our more formal study of the life of Christ, going through a day-by-day look of those 50, you know, two or so days recorded in Scripture. We'll begin that next week, all right? Let's have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you this time that you've allowed us to come together once again. Lord, uh, we do pray that you would help us as we continue this study, that our hearts would be tender towards you, that they would be sensitive, that Lord, we'd be open to hearing your word and your instruction. Lord, I pray that you would help us to become more Christ-like as a result of it. We do pray once again for the service to come, be with our pastor, fill him with your Holy Spirit, use him in a mighty way. In Christ's name we pray, amen.